0: Welcome to Regenerative Medicine today. It's my pleasure to have as our guest for this podcast, Dr. Peter Wearden. Uh, Dr. Wearden is Assistant Professor of Cardiothoracic Surgery at the uh, University of Pittsburgh, and he at the Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh. He's the Director of Pediatric Mechanical Cardiopulmonary Support. Welcome, Dr. Wearden.
1: Thank you, John. It's my pleasure to be here,
0: Dr. Wearden. You've uh, are very widely recognized for your pediatric. Uh, cardiothoracic surgery that uh, I know includes a wide range of clinical applications, probably the most uh, complex of which is, the, uh, is uh, pediatric uh, heart transplants. But I also know that you're one of the pioneers in evaluating uh, various mechanical support devices, uh, commonly referred to as ventricular assist devices. Perhaps uh, very briefly for our audience, can you describe what a ventricular assist device is?
1: Um, The ventricular assist device uh, could be thought of also as an artificial heart. Uh, Some artificial hearts that our listeners may have heard of entirely replace the human heart. Uh, A ventricular assist device is somewhat different in that, uh, as the name implies, it assists the ventricles of the heart or the pumping chambers of the heart. So with ventricular assist devices they do not entirely replace the human heart but quite frankly they can replace the entirety of the blood flow coming out of the heart and these can sit inside the chest or outside of the patient uh, in order to assist the uh, pumping chambers or the ventricles uh, to do their work in delivering oxygenated blood to the body.
0: I've uh, heard these devices referred to as either bridges to a transplant or bridges to recovery and I I believe that you use them in both of these applications?
1: Yes, we do. Uh, In bridge to transplantation, we may be presented with a patient uh, that's heart is acutely failing or chronically failing and has become so bad that it can really not support life. And a ventricular assist device can be placed uh, for a certain period of time until a, a, a donor organ becomes available for transplantation. Uh, and in this capacity, they allowed the rest of the uh, organs of the uh, recipient to transplant candidate to recover uh, from the effects of uh, having poor oxygen delivery of oxygenated blood. Uh, so a ventricular assist device is placed, uh, and we wait from anywhere from days to months for a transplanted organ to become available for transplantation. Bridge to recovery is a, a relatively newer use of the ventricular assist device. Uh, and may have a lot of potential, particularly in pediatric uh, applications. And in this instance, the patient will present usually with very acute heart failure, and a ventricular assist device could be placed on an emergency basis, and I think our listeners could think of it as allowing the heart to rest uh, until the muscle of the heart recovers, and then at which point in time we can frequently remove the ventricular assist device, and the patient will do well without any further support and will not go on for the need for transplantation.
0: Now, I understand that the these devices for adult applications is, uh, I guess what I'd describe as a reasonably mature technology, but uh, for pediatric cases, uh, you've been faced with a number of challenges. Can you uh, share some of those with us, please? Uh,
1: yes, this is a really a fascinating uh, sort of socioeconomic thing that's happened uh, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, you may know and our listeners may know that uh, the heart-lung bypass machine was invented in the uh, early 1950s with more widespread application coming in the late 1950s and late 1960s but what's fascinating to me is its application was first in children to fix congenital heart disease obviously there's far more uh, people in our population who are adults with adult heart disease than there are children with, chi- with the pediatric heart disease. So that technology migrated to the adult world and was used most widely uh, in adult applications for adult uh, open heart surgery, and ultimately the technology changed for long-term support or assist devices in the adults. Uh, and the pediatric population was left basically with what I would consider 1950s or 1960s technology, um, as the adult ventricular cyst devices came out, the uh, uh, industry recognized a large population of uh, patients that could benefit uh, from this. So there was market demands to develop adult ventricular cyst devices. The numbers that we project could be helped with a pediatric uh, ventricular cyst device is in the hundreds to maybe a thousand. So obviously, there's very little market demand uh, for that, and then very, therefore very little industry interest in developing these devices. Approximately five years ago, the NIH recognized this, and they uh, put out a call for contract proposals to develop a device, a ventricular assist device, specifically for the pediatric population, of which. Uh, Children's Hospital Pittsburgh, the University of Pittsburgh, and most importantly the McGowan Institute were an applicant and ultimately a contractee with the government. Uh, But the other interesting interesting thing that has happened is uh, once the NIH gave its impromptu impromptu to this uh, technology, uh, the interest in it has skyrocketed and now there's uh, others that are working on devices outside of the contract groups, which were five groups. Uh, And Additionally, uh, there are at least two conferences now devoted uh, yearly to pediatric heart failure and specifically pediatric ventricular assistance. So this is a technology that uh, I would say within the last five years has really uh, taken off and its potential application uh, has been noticed.
0: Just to clarify, when you say that the the need is uh, hundreds of uh, children, is that per year
1: That's our best guess, is about uh, anywhere from 300 to 1,000 children per year could benefit from this technology.
0: Well, from an economic perspective, I understand the possible reluctance of people to invest uh, millions of dollars, but uh, from the uh, hundreds of uh, children and their families that are affected, it's certainly a a high-priority area, I'm sure.
1: Uh, Absolutely, and I guess the way to look at it from a uh, socioeconomic standpoint as well is that uh, many of these children have a lifetime uh, of uh, accomplishments that they can offer to our society uh, and to their families. Uh, And quite frankly, the children have more potential uh, to recover, both with a bridge to recovery or a bridge to transplantation. So in my mind, our chances for success are much greater and the potential that they will offer society is is very great indeed.
0: Now, you've shared with us this uh, development work that uh, you and your colleagues are pursuing, uh, but I also know that uh, you've uh, uh, done some very innovative clinical procedures in the interim uh, by adapting other types of artificial hearts to uh, aid uh, sick children. Can you uh, share with us briefly what, what that area is all about? Um, as
1: you may know, currently there are no uh, FDA-approved ventricular assist devices uh, available uh, in the United States for children. Uh, there is one device that uh, is used uh, in Europe, and its uh, use has become much more widespread in, in the United States, and the name of that device is the Berlin Heart. And In, in fact, now they're in a clinical trial in the United States to they hope ultimately gain FDA approval Uh, we have used this technology uh, approximately five times at Children's Hospital Pittsburgh and are probably one of the leading centers in the United States in the in the application of the Berlin heart uh, technology Uh, but a problem that we have faced is that because this is not FDA approved there is an approval process that we have to go through to obtain this uh, technology both with approval from within our institution, from the federal government, and then to receive the, uh, the technology from Germany. And quite frankly, some of our patients have not had the time to wait uh, to, um, for the application of the Berlin Heart technology. So then we're faced with the uh, obstacle of modifying or adapting currently available technology that we have uh, for application in the pediatric population. Uh, And one of those uh, technologies that we've used recently at uh, Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh is a pump made by another manufacturer called Levitronics that we have worked with in in adapting their technology for pediatric application uh, here at the McGowan Institute. Uh, And so recently we had a child uh, who had acute heart failure. Uh, An application was made for the Berlin heart. However, it was insufficient time to help this child so we modified one of the Levitronics uh, pumps, the Centromag pump, for, pedi- for a pediatric application. And uh, we supported that child for a period of one week, uh, using it as what we call a BIVAD preparation. And that would mean that there were two pumps, uh, each supporting uh, one side of the heart, the pumping chamber that pumps to the lungs, the right ventricle, and the pumping chamber that pumps to the, to the body, the left ventricle. Uh, And I'm uh, happy to uh, let your listeners know that that child ultimately went on to successful heart transplantation.
0: Most interesting and uh, certainly most uh, promising for uh, children and their families who have uh, these types of conditions. Dr. Weirden, there's uh, a number of areas that we talk about when we discuss regenerative medicine. Of course, one is uh, mechanical devices. and. artificial organs, which has been the focus of uh, this discussion with you up to this point. And of course, the other two are cellular therapy and tissue engineering. Do you uh, see any opportunities in the future for the other two areas applicable to the uh, clinical uh, problems that you address? Uh,
1: Absolutely, John, and and to be honest with you, that's what I consider uh, the most exciting thing about my role at the McGowan Institute and that is to focus on translating the fantastic work of uh, the scientists here at the McGowan Institute into their clinical application. And when I'm standing at the bedside with the family of a sick child, my interest is in translating that technology sooner rather than later. And we have discussed uh, here this morning already how we've translated uh, some of the work at the McGowan Institute, uh, particularly in the area of uh, ventricular assist devices, already into the pediatric uh, population at the Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh within the past year. There's exciting things on the uh, forefront. Uh, we've recently been awarded a, a a large NIH grant to move uh, another pump uh, into clinical trials which will hopefully be happening within the next uh, 18 months. Uh, our PediaFlow device that we mentioned with regard to the NIH contract we're hopeful will be in clinical trials within two to three years. But perhaps uh, even more exciting than all of the ventricular assist uh, device uh, technology that we're working on uh, is the potential application for many of the other uh, activities at the McGowan Institute into children with uh, congenital heart disease. I'm fond of saying, and maybe some would disagree with me, that the the work I do in the hospital is uh, almost entirely uh, regenerative medicine. Uh, The children I deal with were born with various uh, 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 anatomic uh, malformations of their heart. This could be holes in the heart. Uh, This could be uh, pulmonary arteries or aortas that are too small or malpositioned, uh, heart valves that are too small. Uh, All of these problems are amenable to regenerative uh, uh, medicine technologies. And quite frankly, it's the preferable solution. Let me take one example. Uh, if there's a child that's born with uh, uh, an inadequate uh, pulmonary artery and pulmonary valve, as may happen in Tetralogy of Fallot. My options are limited at this point in time. Uh, basically, we have to render the valve incompetent so that it doesn't work, and we place a large patch across this. Uh, the alternative is to place uh, a pulmonary valve from a cadaver uh, into the child both of them are inferior solutions. Uh, The patch and the incompetent valve ultimately leads to dilation of the uh, right ventricle, and frequently when these patients reach adulthood or even before, they have to have a valve replaced. Uh, To use the homographs, or the cadaver pulmonary valves, uh, the body essentially rejects these over a period of time, and the younger the child is, the more quickly it's rejected. These children that have a pulmonary homograph placed are faced with having three to five operations within their childhood uh, before they even reach adulthood. Uh, Imagine if we can translate our technology uh, into a tissue-engineered pulmonary valve that could actually grow with the child. I think this is very exciting. Obviously, we're a long way from this, uh, but what we're much closer to is, uh, for instance, patching the aorta with a tissue engineered patch. Currently, again, the only uh, technology that's available to me is, a, uh, is a, a patch of artery from a cadaver, either from the pulmonary artery or from the aorta, to patch a child's aorta. Again, this is inferior. This patch will not grow with the child and frequently becomes aneurysmal. Several of your scientists at the McGowan Institute are, are working on patches that we could use in the pediatric population and my goal is to see this technology, uh, again, used sooner rather than later.
0: Very interesting and uh, very promising. Dr. Weirdness is certainly most interesting, and I have to commend you for uh, advancing the state of the art in uh, these particular uh, problems, uh, for you, you being a very strong advocate uh, of uh, translation of science from the bench to the bedside. And I thank you for joining us today, but perhaps most importantly, I thank you on behalf of all the children that you uh, have uh, served and for those that you will serve with uh, these new technologies as they emerge. Uh, As we conclude this podcast, I'd uh, remind you that we uh, are not in a position to diagnose uh, medical problems via the Internet, but we will list on the uh, podcast website Dr. Wearden's clinical contact information. I'd also like to uh, thank the McGowan Institute for Regenerative Medicine for sponsoring these podcasts, and until we meet again in another two weeks, uh, best wishes to all our listeners. Thank you.